Hello and welcome to the Diabetic Podcast. I'm Justin, I have type 1 diabetes, and on this podcast, we talk all things diabetes tech, news, management, and beyond. New episodes release every Monday on YouTube or wherever you listen, so be sure to follow and give it a rating if you enjoy the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Gary Shiner about the power of continuous glucose monitors or CGMs, and specifically, him and I are gonna go through every Thing that's new with the Dexcom G7 and both his and my experience wearing it over the last few months. We're also going to get into the future of CGM technology and what that could look like. Gary has been a certified diabetes care and education specialist since 1995, and he's lived with type 1 diabetes for nearly 40 years. He is the owner and clinical director of Integrated Diabetes Services, a practice specializing in intensive insulin therapy and advanced education for children and adults. I've got a link to his practice in today's show notes. Gary has written seven books, including Think Like a Pancreas, which I own and I've read and I recommend it to everyone who wants to better understand their CGM data and how foods affect them. That way you can manage yourself better. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media or YouTube channel is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your health care. All right, let's get into the discussion. Hello, Gary. Thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, Justin. How you doing? I'm good. This is kind of a full circle moment for me because I was first introduced to you by my diabetes educator, like right after diagnosis, uh, and she recommended the book, whoops, <laughs> the Think, uh, Think Like a Pancreas, which is your book that you wrote, one of many. And then a couple months ago, I was at a Dexcom event. They were showing off the G7 and there were some guest speakers and it comes to you. You say your name. I'm like, oh my goodness, I read your book <laughs> and I like fangirled out a little bit. Um, so before we get into the Dexcom G7 and all about CGMs, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 1985, so a long time ago. Um, I got uh, my master's degree in, in exercise physiology. It's always been a passion of mine and had an opportunity to uh, work at the Joslin Diabetes Center in my first job. So I was able to cross train, learn a lot about the other aspects of diabetes care, medical side, nutrition side, etc. So I started my own practice a few years later, and it's, it's grown nicely. I have a practice now that has 10 clinicians, and all of them have type 1 diabetes personally. Some also have kids with type 1, and they're located in various parts of the country, different time zones, and we do uh, some in-person care for patients. We, our off, main office here is in Philadelphia, but uh, we do mostly virtual care. So we have clients all over the world, certainly all across the U.S., and we focus on type 1 diabetes care. Uh, we help people to make better use of the new technologies that are available, uh, coach them on how to you know, make lifestyle changes, and also work with them on fine-tuning their insulin doses, as well as making use of other uh, ancillary medications uh, that might help them to reach their, their health and, and diabetes management goals. Yeah, and, and one way of doing that is with CGMs, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. What would you say is the importance of CGMs or 
the benefits from CGMs beyond what people who are listening who are like, oh, like I use my CGM, it shows me my number. Like what are the benefits beyond that? You know, it, it's different for different people. It's interesting. I ask folks this and I get 10 different people give me 10 different answers. You know, I, I've had hypoglycemia unawareness since soon after my diagnosis. I just can't feel my lows. And it set me up for a lot of problems with low blood sugar. In fact, it was one event about 15 years ago. I was doing a lecture, a professional presentation on how to prevent hypoglycemia in people with diabetes. And I got about halfway through my presentation and guess what? I had a low blood sugar. It doesn't bode well for your confidence and your uh, trustworthiness if you get a low when you're lecturing about how to prevent lows. So I, I really, in my case, the most important thing is that it alerts me early on when I'm headed low so I can prevent them. It's sort of like bubble wrap, you know, it's protecting me against the severe, the severe lows. And so I coach patients on how to use those alert features and how to set them properly so that they don't wind up with significant hypoglycemia. But for some people, the real benefit to them is not having to finger stick as much. And I think everybody with diabetes appreciates that. Uh, you know, the, the systems now are much more reliable than they used to be. We can trust the data that they give us. Now, for other people, uh, it, it's the direction arrows. It's knowing whether they're rising or falling in any given instance. You know, if you're about to go exercise and your glucose is 120, it's nice to know if it's 120 and falling or rising or stable. It allows us to make better decisions to keep ourselves in a safe place. And that applies to if you're about to drive, if you're about to take an exam, uh, go to sleep. I mean, anything that requires you to have decent glucose control for a while for your own safety, uh, it really helps to know what direction you're headed. So I, I believe it's a combination of, of the alert features that are a true benefit, the, the, the numbers that are being generated uh, without the finger stick necessity, uh, the trending information. And, and I also wouldn't uh, get go past the, the analysis features, being able to look at uh, glucose levels in context and see what's going on between meals, overnight, et cetera. Uh, I know as a clinician, that's one of the main things I do is, is do that analysis and also teach people how to do their own analysis of their data. Yeah, that's one thing that really stuck out in your book was how you can look at your data over a span of time, say four hours, and see how that food's affecting you, A, and B, how your insulin dosing is working and kind of use all that data to refine your insulin to carb ratio, your insulin sensitivity. I'm sure we'll get into that um, later in this podcast, uh, kind of using that data and analyzing it. I, I definitely want to get into that. We'll save that for later. So I'm new to the whole CGM thing. I'm only two years in. So I had like this very spoiled experience. I got the G6 and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like having diabetes is really easy. You know, it's not, but it's much easier than um, I was expecting, I guess, in some ways. Kind of give us a little bit of a history lesson, kind of from like when you were diagnosed to kind of where we are now. Only when I was diagnosed, CGM was just a distant concept and the first 
CGM systems didn't come about until you know, 2003, 2004. And you know, the first thing that was, was launched and approved uh, was called the Gluco Watch. It's made by a company called Cygnus Corporation. So this was worn on your wrist, and on the back of the watch, what was against your skin was, was this electrode pad, and it ran an electric current on the skin surface, and it would actually draw glucose molecules and the perspiration to the skin surface, and that's presumably how it was measuring blood sugar levels, and you could hit a button and get a reading. And, you know, it, it worked, but there were so many things that interfered with its reliability that it didn't last long. Like if you were moving your arm a lot or if you were sweating heavily or if the temperature changed. I mean, you have to walk around with your arm in a temperature or humidity controlled box all the time <laughs> in order for it to work properly. So it wasn't very reliable. So that... Yeah. that and people have told me about that on social media. They said that it hurt them. Is that true? Oh, yeah. It would leave because <laughs> the electric current on the skin was an irritant and it left almost like little burn marks on, on the inside of your, your arm. So that was not pleasant. Uh, so, again, it didn't last long. Um, Minimed, you know, the precursor to Medtronic, they had a professional use continuous glucose monitor that would track data for three days. Thing was, it didn't show you the information. This was something you, you know, the doctor's office or the endo's office would have. You'd wear it for three days and then you could download it and see what your data looked like, which was fascinating. I mean, it was amazing to see what was going on, like I said, between meals and overnight. I noticed when I, first time I used this, you know, the big spikes I was getting after every meal, I had no idea those were happening but it showed up with this. Now it used a, a, a cable to attach to the, the sensor. It was not disconnectable and it wasn't wireless the way today's systems were. So bathing and showering was a challenge. <laughs> yeah, how to put this in a plastic bag around your neck when you showered. It looked ridiculous, but it did collect yeah, and those for, for you. And for those who are listening, he was holding a, like basically a device with a long cable that would connect to, you're saying, a sensor that's on your body? Yeah, the sensor, I'll hold it up, that little guy right there, okay. yeah, tape it down. Okay. And then you know, Dexcom launched uh, you know, their original system called the, the Dexcom STS. And it was a three-day sensor, uh, and you know, they went to a seven-day after that, and it you know, improved every, you know, over time. Um, so this, this launched uh, in the late 2000, like near 2010 or so, and it was followed pretty closely by Abbott with their, uh, oh, I've got the name of this thing. This is, be, this is a precursor to the Libre. Uh, this was the, ooh, name slips my mind, but it was big, you know, whereas the Dexcom sensors have always been very small and compact, this was pretty large. Good accuracy, but and there was a handheld uh, display that would show the data. And so that. that one, the Abbott one, the first one, kind of looks like the size of an Omnipod pump. Yeah, kind of. Pretty close. It was called the Navigator. It was the, the Navigator. name. Of it was the Navigator. Okay. And now you know, today we've we've evolved to the point we've got multiple companies with these systems. 
They're approved to replace finger sticks in most cases. Uh, the accuracy is, is reliable enough. You know, the accuracy of today's CGM systems, it's comparable to the meters that were used about 20 years ago. And those obviously were, you know, we trusted those for decision-making purposes. So that's why now we can trust these that we have now. Today's CGMs, they're not as precise as the better meters that are on the market today, but you know, they're close enough for most, for most uses. Yeah. All right. So now let's get into where we are today, which is the G7. And you and I are both using the G7. Mm -hmm. Gary, tell us a bit about what's new to the G7. Uh, well, my favorite feature of the G7 is the short warm-up time. Now, I use an automated insulin delivery system, and if it's not getting sensor data, it's not automating my adjusting my insulin for me. So I, I never liked those two-hour warm-up periods. I felt like I was tracking a rocket on the dark side of the moon. You just lose track of things. So now, you know, technically, it has about a 30-minute warm-up time, but we've learned that if you put your next sensor on half an hour before you're going to start using it, it's already warmed up. So there's really no warm-up time and no gap, no dark side of the moon at all. You've got continuous glucose data uh, that you can use or that feeds into your system. Yeah, what? what uh, so I found that too. I made a whole YouTube video uh, on stacking them and it worked and it works. I keep doing it. What's funny to me is why isn't Dexcom marketing it as practically no warm up time, like, or zero warm up time asterisk? You know what I mean? Like, you can say zero warm up time, or like, there's a way to market the fact that you're not waiting without numbers. Like, that sounds very good, especially compared to yeah. the competition. You're waiting 60 minutes with the Libre 3. Like, why did they decide to say 30 minute warm up and saying, like, no warm up time with stack sensors, you know? Yeah, well, it, it's a hack. I mean, it's just something that we've figured out just through trial and error and in using them. It's sort of like, you know, the, the, the sites that it's approved for. I mean, they can't actively promote uh, no warm-up time because in all of the FDA studies, or the studies that were submitted to the FDA, they used a 30-minute warm-up time. So the on-label recommendation is to allow the 30-minute warm-up. But, you know, the same thing can be said for the site. You know, they only studied it really on the arm, so that's what they got approval for. And I think you can use the... Uh, buttocks in, in, in little ones also yeah and in the european union it was approved for the abdomen and personally uh i have been using it there and i found sometimes i i feel like overall i have gotten better numbers on my abdomen um more consistency so that's kind of what's worked well for me uh, but obviously anyone listening should speak with their doctors first, you know, before deciding where placement works best for them. As if they're going to know more than you do about it, right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing that a bit, but I do like the back of my arm as well. Yeah, I've, uh, I've what used else? Them both. Yeah. I've, I've used my, my arm. I've also used my hip. And I prefer my hip personally. It's off-label. It's not an indicated place to wear it, but it works reasonably well. Um, I found the arm does seem to give me a little more reliability, but I don't know. For me, just the, I'm, I'm a hairy guy, and the tape there, it, just, it pulls a lot, and it bothers me a little bit wearing it there. 
Yeah, and one thing I have noticed, uh, and I believe Dexcom's been pretty open about it, that there is no, there isn't necessarily less compression lows with this one. It's pretty on par with G6. I sleep on my back. So depending on the placement on my arm, I could be putting pressure on the sensor. And that's why I tend to leg it on my abdomen because I don't sleep on my stomach. And even if I sleep on my side, it's not going to push down on it. And I have found compression lows um, somewhat consistent, but they haven't gotten in the way. But I'll, I'll notice them sometimes. Maybe I've, I've been wearing it for three months. Maybe I've had like three nights of comp like where I've been like woken up by a fake low. But hey, I mean... Out of 90 days, only three days, three nights, I think, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. My patients and I have seen, I would say, a little bit more uh, compression lows with G7. And it may be because the sensor is right underneath the transmitter hub. You know, with the G6, the, trans, the sensor is inserted at an angle. So if you press on the transmitter part, it's not pressing directly on the sensor area. I'm not sure why, but we've seen a little bit more. So we have to pay more attention to sleep patterns. I always ask patients, you know, how do you sleep? And we try to avoid those areas to minimize the compression lows during the night. Now, another good feature from a time standpoint is that Dexcom G7 built a 12-hour grace period in at the end of the 10-day cycle. So when you get to that 10 days and you get the message that's a change sensor now, it will continue working for up to 12 hours more. So, you know, let's say it happens late at night, you know, you can change it in the morning. Or one time I was driving back from New York City and I'm in the, on the New Jersey Turnpike, I got my alert that my 10 days was up, worked fine until I got home. And for those who want to use the 30 minute trick with the stacking using two sensors at once, you know, whenever you get the 10 days is up, you can just put your new sensor on at that point, let it warm up and switch them out whenever you choose to. Yeah, I have heard, you know, everyone has their technique. I know a lot of people um, like to put on their sensor and have it kind of soak for a certain amount of hours before they start using it. So for people who like doing that, you can do that during during that 12-hour warm-up and have it soak. And you know, everyone has their their own little their own little ways. One thing on the note of kind of the direction of the strand that comes out of it. So you were saying how the G7, it's right below it. And the way it works is it shoots directly down. The the little strand that's about the size of three hairs, right? Goes straight down, um, perpendicular, perpendicular to your skin whereas the G6 went at an angle. And one thing I've noticed, which has been incredible, after over three months, I have had zero pain upon insertion and throughout wearing it. With the G6, I would sometimes have an, a sight that was like painful, stinging um, throughout the day. And I have not had that once with the G7. What about you? Yeah, the, the insertions have been completely painless. I feel nothing. That, that sensor filament is only, I believe it's six millimeters long. It's very, very small. So the introducer needle that was longer and took more time to insert and retract with the G6, now it's thinner, it's small, shorter, and it's in and out a lot quicker. So yeah, most people don't feel anything when they insert these sensors. They're really comfortable. The accuracy is also better overall. And there's a 
a term terminology called MARD, M-A-R-D, which is another way of saying how much how much difference there is between the sensor value and a lab value taken at the same time. So a MARD of 10% means the, the sensor is on average 10% off from the lab value. So the lower the MARD, the better. And the MARD on the Dexcom G6 is around 9%. And on the G7, it's down to about 8%. But it's interesting how the MARD works, is once you get past day one, the MARD on the G7 gets really, really good. It's like around 6 7%. Day one MARD is a little bit higher, so I, I still recommend to my patients that they do a couple of finger sticks on day one, on the, fir the first 24 hours of sensor use, and only start trusting it once they match up pretty closely. How does the MARD of the G7 compare to, say, the Libre 3, or EverSense yes. even? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit better than both. Uh, the, it's, it's on par with the Eversense. It's very close. You know, of course, with the Eversense, you have to go through a procedure to get your sensor inserted. <laughs> I, I still have an Eversense sensor in my body. I had it put in before COVID took place. And oh, wow. Me it's biocompatible, so it shouldn't cause any problems down the road. We'll very listen. interesting. I, I would love to talk to you about Eversense on like its own episode. That's something that I've been considering trying out and being able to document. So that's something I'm working on in the background. Yeah, I mean, one of the um, main advantages was no warm-up times. You didn't have to be changing your sensor out. But now with the Dexcom G7, with our hack, there's no warm-up times either. So it kind of eliminates that one benefit that ever I felt Eversense had. Yeah, so now we need to address the brief sensor issue, because this is something that a lot of people are talking about. And it's something that I've experienced. Um, and it's actually gotten better on my end. I don't know how. <laughs> uh, maybe Dexcom is running things behind the scenes. But can you tell me about what your patients are experiencing with the G7 when it comes to like brief sensor issues, which is like a pause where this the sensor is essentially either not connected to your phone or it's... Um, you know, not getting reliable numbers, so it's kind of putting a pause. Tell me about that. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the site. I know in my own experience using it on different body parts, I had far fewer of those temporary, temporary loss signals that on the arm than I had on any other body part. So I, I do believe that helps. And Dexcom's also done some data analysis on different body parts. and. The accuracy overall on the arm is slightly better than anywhere else. So you know, if people are able to use their arm, if it doesn't lead to a lot of compression lows or discomfort, I, mean, I would encourage them to do it. Beyond that, I'm not aware of anything in any specific strategies um, for you know, dealing with those occasional missed signals. I, I get them too. You know, I'll just periodic, I'll look at my sensor, it says, you know, temporary sensor issue, and then within five minutes, it's back working again. So it's not usually affecting performance of an automated insulin delivery system that doesn't really impact our decision making either, because we can see what we were a few minutes ago. And a few minutes later, we've got data up and running again. Yeah, I'll say personally, I felt like in the first, the first three or four sensors I wore, I was tackling with a lot of those consistently and 
was finding that they were getting in, in the way. I don't know what Dexcom did, but it does seem like they did something on the back end because it has gotten better for me. And I, what I've also noticed is that the the distance is definitely definitely seems a lot more sensitive than it was from the distance from your phone seems a lot more sensitive than it was with the G6. I know they say 20 feet, but Gary, sometimes my phone is in my pocket and I'm not getting I'm not getting connection. Have yeah, you have it, your patients? It, it might be related to the the transmitter itself. You know, when we had the old transmitters that you had to click in, they they were a good size. They had a battery built in. These little tiny transmitters on that are built into the sensors now may not have as much power as as the three month sensor uh, transmitters that we used to use. I'm just speculating here, uh, but yeah, that, that's usually the case. And I know that Dexcom is constantly updating the app on the phone, you know, the software updates that take place, and that may also be partially responsible for the improved performance recently. Yeah. So currently the Dexcom G7 isn't available for closed loop systems unless people are using, say, a DIY system loop, uh, things like that. Um, currently you need to use the G6. Um, but what is interesting in the recent news is that Libre 2 and 3 got approved for closed loop systems. What do you expect to see with that? Um, I don't expect to see a lot of people switching. I, I still feel the Dexcom is a better sensor, better CGM system overall. The accuracy is a little better, and I think it's especially more reliable in a hypoglycemic and near hypoglycemic range, which is where it's really critical to people. It's just a lot more feature-rich, Dexcom alerts, etc. This is so much more customization the user can do. The one advantage that Libre had up until the G7, well, two, one was the size, and that's, you know, now they're pretty equivalent, the G7 and the Libre 3. The other advantage was the cost. So for people who have to pay out of pocket for their sensors, uh, they may save a little bit now on the Libre, uh, but you know Dexcom has special deals for people whose insurance doesn't provide coverage uh, where the price is almost equivalent to what a Libre would be. So you have Libre 2 and 3, uh, they have that interoperability uh, designation. It doesn't mean it's gonna happen all of a sudden. You know, Tandem is gonna be doing that probably within the next three to six months where it'll be an option. I'm not sure if wow. the DIY systems, how, how quickly they'll get on board, but I imagine they will. But you know, the only system the G7 interacts with now are the DIY systems. You know, G7 is not compatible yet with Tandem or Omnipod 5 and certainly not Medtronic. But with the DIY systems, because you know, the, 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 the designers of those apps can update them like that you know it's wonderful we can uh, start using yeah. new technology i still remember when uh, fiosp insulin launched and it took i think 10 or 14 days for the people who designed the loop app to have an algorithm built in for those who wanted to use fiosp where the insulin on board would get calculated correctly and i don't we still don't have those it's been years we still don't have those in any of the other pumps 
Yeah, I, I currently use the FIOSP selection on Loop and it, and it does so well. I, I'm a huge fan of FIOSP. I recently put up a video showing basically the curves of how the insulin affects you faster and stronger. Um, so it's easier like with, with less time for pre-bolus. Yeah. So yeah, I um, mentioned the alarms and the uh, features of the Dexcom. That's also new with the G7. There's some new alarm and alert features that make the alerts um, more actionable and less of a nuisance. It's a good combination. You know, like if you set your high alert, let's say at 200, if you eat a meal and you temporarily go above 200 and come down, you get an alarm. You don't really need it. So now you can, in G7, you can specify, all right, alert me if I'm above 200 for more than an hour or more than two hours. So it's more of something you need to act upon. And then with something like the fall alerts, if you went from 250 down to 180 very fast, you don't really need an alarm to tell you that. You can set a threshold now. So if you're dropping fast and you're below a certain number, now you can get the alert. So it's more actionable and you get fewer nuisance alarms. Yeah, I completely agree. The alerts features on G7 are incredible. The the amount of customization that they allow for. One thing that I like about it is the fact that I can set it to snooze the first alert or rather, sorry, delay the first alert. So if my blood sugar, I can set it to like, if my blood sugar goes over 200 for 15 minutes, then I will get an alert. But if it goes to 200 and then under 14 minutes goes right back down under 200, no alert, which allows you to stay in that moment more and not have to worry about your levels. Yeah. It's an so incredible it used to be when you'd feature. hover right around your threshold for an alert, it would just alarm again and again and again. It didn't matter if you had the snooze or repeat feature turned on, it would keep alarming. So that feat, you know, the, the delayed first alert, that, that really does help way, way better. And then also they allow you to create separate profiles, two profiles. So I have a profile for during the day and I have a separate profile for at night. If my blood sugar goes low, I have it set to have a louder alert than I would get during the day because most likely I'm sleeping and I want to wake up. That's one feature I love. Also something that just came onto the app here in the US, it was already in Europe, is the silence all feature. Okay, this, I don't even know how this is allowed. This, this freaks me out a bit and I want to get your thoughts on it. Silence All allows you to silence all of the alerts, even urgent low soon. Now that scares me. Like why, and you can do this up to, I believe, six hours. I don't remember if you can do indefinitely. I can check real quick and I'll check that while you're talking. But why would Dexcom allow us to silent all alerts, including urgent low soon? Like, why would the FDA allow Dexcom to do that? Well, it'll still alert the person, though. It just does it through an on-screen message and the vibrate feature. So it's not as if it doesn't notify you of anything. It just doesn't do it through audible alerts. It doesn't let you do it indefinitely. It's a maximum of six hours. But to me, that does seem a little dangerous, like your phone's in the other room. I mean, unless you're obviously aware that you turned it on, but you know, we all get busy and we forget things like that, you know, that worries me. I don't think personally I'll ever use that. I just, because the, the quiet mode is the other feature and that just turns it to vibrate alerts. That works for me. I do that specifically if I go see a Broadway show or a movie, I, I turn it on for two hours and I, and I love that. That's, 
made me so calm during a Broadway show uh, because I've had like two panic attacks in a Broadway show <laughs> for over blood sugar. It's a very real thing. And that's really helped me. Uh, and bringing low snacks and not making the mistake yeah. of not bringing low snacks. Uh, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I saw Pirates of Penzance last weekend. And yeah, I had to hit a few glucose tablets in the middle of the show from dropping. Even with the yeah. automated system and the CGM and everything, hey, you know, it still happens sometimes. It was hot in the theater. That might have had something to do with yeah. it. I don't know. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest changes in my life would be just the ease of seeing truly, truly, truly enjoying a show and not thinking about something else. I, I do look at my Apple watch here and there and, and get a little worried if I see arrows going a certain way. And I tell myself, Justin, just enjoy the show. You have your low snacks, you have the alerts, they're going to vibrate, relax. And uh, that's something I'm getting better with over time, you know, but you yeah. have those you moments. Know, just the mental benefit of, of uh, that security you know, I work with adults and pa and kids, but to see the parents of kids, and I can tell they're sleeping better <laughs> since they've been using the CGM, and they'll use the share feature so they can be alerted on their phone if there's a problem. And even spouses, uh, partners of loved ones and who have type 1, to, they just feel more confident. They're not as worried. So it helps it, the whole family dynamic yeah. can get better. Yeah. So now I want to get into the data. You speak a lot about data in Think Like a Pancreas. What are some tips you can provide my listeners as to how they can use their data, look at it on their own, you know, before they go to their endocrinologist or their diabetes educator, what can they do? What can they monitor and take note of as they're looking at their data, as they're eating, as they're bolusing and, um, how can they, you know, make little changes to improve their sugar levels? This ties into another new feature in the G7, and that's that if you scroll down your screen, you get some of the clarity reports right in your Dexcom app. You can see over the last week, two weeks, month, you can see what your average has been, your time in range, time high and low. And if you want to get much more granular, though, you do have to go into clarity or you have to sync your Dexcom with another program like Tidepool or Gluco um, or Night Scout. You know, th those types of programs can integrate a lot of stuff. You know, they'll put uh, pump data, sm uh, connected pen data, even activity trackers, sleep trackers, all that stuff can get integrated on those kind of programs. But you know, just looking at the CGM data in and of itself, with nothing else, no other context, there's still a lot of things that we can all learn from it. I love to use the push notifications on Clarity. Have it generate a weekly kind of an email report to you that just says, hey, here's how you did the last week. This was your average, you time high, low, in range, that kind of thing. It, it sort of gamifies diabetes a little bit. You, you challenge yourself. All right, I'm I averaged 158 this week. I want to get that down under 150 this week. And you, you, it gets people motivated to, to work harder at it. Or you might see a lot of lows. And honestly, I, I had someone call me the other day and asked if they can come into my office and do an A1C. And I said, yeah, you could. But if you just give me access to your CGM data, I can tell you what it is and come really close. It, 
the A1C is funny. It's, it's not a measure of blood sugar. It's a surrogate measure. The CGM is a direct measure of your glucose levels. So I think it's a more reliable indicator of what your overall average has been. But it's so much more than that. You, know, you can see how stable it's been, how much time you've spent within a healthy, acceptable range as opposed to being high or low. So that time in range metric now is it's a really meaningful metric. That's a quality measure. And the quality measure is more important, I think, than the A1C is. We should strive for as much time in our target range as possible. For most people, that's about 70 to 180, but everyone might have their own unique range. I mean, I like to be between 70 and 160. For other people, they're looking at 80 to 200 because they like to run a little more conservatively. So everyone should have their own customized range. Uh, but that's a real easy thing to track in Clarity. You can see that anytime you want for whatever time interval you want to look at. And then the individual day graphs are really useful for looking at what's going on after meals. Like, what did you have for breakfast this morning, Justin? I, I had a Dunkin' Donuts like, bit, uh, sausage, egg, and cheese on an English muffin this all morning. Right. Usually, I that's like che- something rare. I, I never that's eat right. that. But. I had cereal. I had Cheerios this morning. Oh, so my you know, goodness. I can't do Cheerios. I don't do cereal anymore. It scares me. Well, you know, I, I learned from experience. Remember, I said my first sensor data showed me big peaks after meals. I learned that I had a bolus earlier. I couldn't wait until I'm sitting to eat to take my insulin. So now I've got, I found that sweet spot. You know, I, I bolus as soon as I wake up in the morning, shower, get dressed, go eat. And by then the insulin's beginning to work and it covers the breakfast much better. But you can use your, your after meal graph to see you know, how to time your insulin best. If you're peaking really high after you eat, you need to take your insulin earlier. And if you're dropping after you eat and then rising later, the insulin needs to be given later. Or if you're using a pump, you can extend you know, the bolus delivery a little bit. So that's a unique thing anyone can learn just day in and day out, looking at how their sensor graph looks after particular meals. You can also see how exercise impacts you. you know, different forms of activity will cause different things to happen. And you learn that maybe morning exercise doesn't drop you as much as evening exercise does. So it's a lot of day-to-day stuff you can pick up on. How does stress affect you? Do you see your glucose change when you're under stress? I don't think so. I've, <laughs> I've tried, and I tried to, I've tried to monitor that because yeah. I know that's a thing, and. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I've been pretty stressful lately. So, and my blood sugar levels haven't been haven't been bad. They've been pretty good. So, I I personally haven't found that, but I do know like cortisone excretion in your body, which I believe is excreted during stress, like can change people's sugars. I don't think I've noticed that personally, but I do hear a lot of people talk about that. Yeah. The kind of stress you're describing, which is kind of ongoing, yeah, it causes cortisol levels to go up, and that sometimes can get offset by an automated insulin delivery. But it's the abrupt, acute stresses. Like I know when I have to speak in front of big audiences, up my sugar goes. I know it's going to do that. Uh, you know, different things do it to different people. You know, sometimes it's examinations, sometimes it's interviews. You know, 
whatever it might be. Illness is, is a form of stress, but yeah, you can see right on your sensor how that impacts you. So yeah, th there's a lot to learn. And I, I love looking at the data, but I like having context along with it. So having the pump and sensor data together, and I, I try to encourage people to log their physical activities along with it. So we really have some information to base our decisions on. Like if we see these spikes or lows, it's nice to know, well, did those happen with certain meal types or on workout days, et cetera? You know, we can do a better job of making the right adjustments. Yeah. Back to what you were saying about, you know, looking at your numbers and understanding the food you're eating, the activity you're doing and how it affects you. That really is the number one thing that comes out of have, wearing a CGM and what has helped me, you know, I get, I'm, I live a pretty routine life in the, in it because it's easier to, and I eat things and do activities that I am constantly doing. I constantly repeat them because I understand how they're going to affect me. I go to the same Thai place. I get the same meal every time. And I know exactly when I have to bolus and exactly how much I need to bolus for my breakfast. I don't normally go to Dunkin' Donuts. And that's why I had about 208 when we started this call and it's come down a bit. Maybe it was nerves. Maybe it was the breakfast, but I know exactly what I, I, my coffee, I have it down to an art form. I went to Blue Bottle with my friend who also has type one diabetes. I was like, oh, the, the coffee has 16 grams of carbs. Like, you know, I, I have all my spots. I know exactly how to bowl is for. And I challenge everyone who's listening to start monitoring the things you eat routinely. Start monitoring how it affects your blood sugar. See what your blood sugar levels are four hours later, which is what I learned from your book. And that will tell you how well you bolused. It's well, okay we'll to go up. The amount yeah. was right. Yes, yes, yeah. uh, and obviously there are so many other factors the to timing, get in there. Yeah, it could have been off. Yeah, if you peaked it, or dropped between, then the timing wasn't quite right. Yeah, and and these are things that I've learned. I do the same thing. I bol I bolus right when I wake up. Then I make my coffee ten minutes later. I bolus myself for this oatmeal and bananas that I eat. I take a shower. I get dressed, and then I eat it. Like. I really have worked everything into my routine and, and I recommend people start monitoring their charts and, and working on stuff like that if they want to. And, you know, speaking with a diabetes educator who, who can help them if, if they want some support. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to share CGM data, whatever system someone uses, you know, whether it's Dexcom, Libre, Medtronic, Eversense, the data is shareable. And that's something our team specializes in and analyzing that data, helping people see where things can can improve and figuring out the best ways to achieve that. So, you know, sh share info about you know my practice because if anybody ha wants that kind of service or just has questions, you can share my email. Uh, feel free to have folks email me. I'm happy to answer. Yeah, I'll, I'll be throwing your information in the description of this episode so people can contact you. I'm sure that information's on there. Before we end this conversation, I kind of just want to talk about the future of CGMs and where we could be going and where you would like it to go. Is, th is there a feature that doesn't currently exist on any CGM technology um, that you would like to see in the future? Well, in order for a, a CGM to allow us to develop a quote unquote artificial pancreas, something that we can just turn on, rely on and not have to, have to mess with, the sensors need to, first need to be more accurate. We need to get to the level that the meters are today 
consistently. So the accuracy does need to improve. Second, they need to be continuous in nature. They can't be going through warm-up times and change-outs and things like that. And I think the third thing is just from a convenience standpoint, they need to be as, as unintrusive as possible. Like, I'm not a big fan of the over-tape that has to be used with the G7. The G6, it was self-adhesive, just stick it on, you're done. G7, you put the sensor on, you've got to put an over-tape on it now to keep it in place for 10 days. I tried going without the over-tape, it didn't make it. So the over-tape is necessary, uh, but you need to figure out ways to keep making the sensor transmitter you know, smaller, less invasive, less intrusive in our, in our daily lives. Yeah, when it, when it comes to application, actually, it's funny, I've had a different experience, and this is because everyone's skin is different. So I've worn the G7 for three months. I have never used the overlay that it comes with. They, they tell you to, and I've had no issues with it coming off. I mean, on my if I use it on my abdomen, I am a bit hairier there, and it does start to, it like kind of the second I put it on, it's like not really on, but it stays there. Uh, but it does start to like unravel a bit, but doesn't come off and on my arms it literally stays on perfectly now and that includes swimming i i did some swimming with this too showers every day almost um but we are headed into summer where the humidity that's what i found is the biggest killer to overlay tape so we will see uh and i will be you know commenting on that throughout the summer yeah let but me yeah, know that's how just... that goes i'm curious if uh if it holds up well for you during the summertime yeah but I, w I went on a trip, I wore the G7, I went in the hot tub five times, I took showers every day, I worked out a few times, it stayed on, like perfectly. So again, everyone's skin is different, that's why people have, you know, irritations sometimes and have to use like an, um, kind of like an underlayer in order to use it. That really about wraps up this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. This was super insightful. I think people are going to gain a lot from this conversation. And I'm excited to have you on again, as well as people from your practice on. I know everyone kind of has their own specialties, and I'm looking forward to having conversations with everyone in your office. Uh, and yeah, this has just been amazing. Thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. You're easy to talk to, Justin. I enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Gary will be back on the show to talk more about diabetes technology and management. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday, wherever you listen or on YouTube if you'd like to watch in video. There is a link to my channel and social accounts in the description of this episode. I've got way more tips and tricks on those platforms. Until next time, I'm Justin, and I'll tech you later.